I'll say, uh, everybody, look, everybody at look at their watch. Five, five after twelve. 12. And, and remember the poor old preacher. Uh, I can take the blame, but uh, most of the time I do. But I seldom preach too long. Uh, and I'll take that all into consideration. But I want to say this this morning. Some good things has happened since uh, the Thomas family have, uh, not Thomas family, have been gone. Uh, one of them is uh, we've been starting at 1030 Six out of the last seven Sabbaths at 10.30. Right. Robert kind of chuckled at that because that, we, that is quite a deal. But we, we were trying to get started at 10.30 and worked on that real hard. Got Connie back into uh, the groove with the soundboard because it was a little bit uh, different than what she had. But I think between her and Nathaniel, they worked that out pretty good. And Connie, you just did a great job, and I want to thank you for that. And... Um, and another thing is in the early part of our service, we had Sister Brenda do a, a teaching. Uh, we didn't have very much music that week, maybe one or so songs, but uh, Brother uh, Sister Brenda was able to come up and teach us, and she does such a well job of that because that's what she has done every Sabbath for so many years. And so from time to time, I'm going to have her to come up and share with us and uh, just give the podium over to her. Uh, Brother Bob has helped out and uh, pitched in, especially when Dustin missed, uh, skipped out, slept in, vamoosed, forsook us, took advantage on the Sabbath day. And uh, yet uh, it was one of the best services we've had during that, <laughs> during that time. But uh, I hate to put him down. He is a good boy. But uh, he was he was hurting in his back real bad and wasn't able to be here and so we pitched in and we may do, and we, we've done that, you know, for the past few weeks, but guys, it's good to have you back, amen? Good to have you back. I know you're tired and weary. I, I really didn't expect you to be here today because I knew it would be um, just some recovery in your physical being, but uh, nonetheless, we thank God. I want to get into the message. Remember, it's uh, about seven minutes after 12, so uh, some of you, you know, might want to make note of that, write it down. But anyway, we want to get into the message. I want you to open with me, if you would, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. And Sam, my Bible is full, but I, I, it's for a reason here this morning. I've entitled the message, Competitive Altars Continued. Now everybody says, uh, well, Brother Lee, isn't there just supposed to be one church? Well, that's according to the Word of God, one church with many members, but uh, can I say to you this morning that all churches, all churches are competitive altars. Each fellowship uh, is designed so it can bring in souls, but remember there is only that one body with many members. The Bible says, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, bond or free and have made all uh, made to drink into that one spirit. So what makes one group differ from another? Well, I've got to be honest with you. It's doctrine. It's tradition. It's teaching. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, a lot of different things in a lot of different areas. Uh, it depends on how the word is uh, interpreted. 
But uh, because of that uh, reason, uh, these competitive altars, you don't find unity, but you find rather division. Let's be honest about it. Jesus said, though, I didn't come to bring peace or send peace. He said, but nay, much rather division, a sword. And so oftentimes we have to give credit where credit's due. I believe Jesus is the great divider. He's separating. He's preparing his people for something that is called eternity. And for those that don't want to be there, those that have, have just like being in fellowship somewhere of their own choosing, well, certainly God honors that. That's one of the good things I like about God. He loves you whether or not you show love to him. He said, if you love me, you will do the things I've commanded you to do. And therefore, uh, it's, it's his uh, prerogative to, you know, to be to us exactly what he says he's going to be. I wouldn't want him to represent himself any way than other than the way the Bible has, has showed us that, uh, you know, he operates. Uh, I'd like to say... So if one insists on all harmony, and there's many that do, they, they just don't want to be. I've had people down through the years said, Brother Lee, I, I really don't like it when uh, people get into a discussion back and forth in the class and, you know, it gets a little heated. Well, I don't know that the Lord likes that either, but nonetheless, I, sometimes people are only looking for the harmony. Uh, they're looking for that uh, lovey love. They're looking for that greasy grace where there's no division. And uh, all I say to you, if you want it different than that, then just join a denomination because there's millions of them that are out there. But uh, can I say, uh, here are some of the teachings, the doctrines, the way things are done. This is what most denominations will say to you. They will say, we perform this way. Uh, we have our committees. We have our boards. We have the times that are set. Uh, we have performances, uh, and, and if you can agree to that, well, we, we'd love to have you to come in, just sign your name on the dotted line, but here's the if to that, and here's the but to that, but if you change your mind, then shut up and get out, there is no refunds. So the time you invest in a place where perhaps God doesn't want you to be, that's your choosing. God allows you to choose that. I'm not saying any one particular place uh, should be preferred over another, but it should be where the Word of God is being preached and the Word of God is being taught and there is no compromise whatsoever. There's no hold over an individual that is in the church of God. I believe if he feels free to uh, uh, worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, well, then he should stay there. That's the place that he's getting fed. He should support that fellowship. And if the day ever changes, especially in the Sabbath day, I'm, I could probably mention how many different denominations, organizations are in the first day, but of the Sabbath organizations, I could mention the Adventists because they're far above in numbers than anybody else. I could mention the Church of God Seventh Day. I could mention the Church of, of uh, the Seventh Day Baptist and the Armstrong type, which was always a little more political and uh, a little bit more in that line. The Messianic movement. These are all Sabbatarian people. Uh, there's a lot that just simply want to be Jews. They want to be identified with the Jews. So be it. There's the sacred name and, of course, all the non-denominational and the independent churches. And, and, brother, it can really, you know, it can really be overwhelming. But there is churches out there. Everyone, including this one, having a competitive altar. Now, I'm going to explain that uh, as we go into the Scripture. Now, I want you to open your Bible with me to First Peter 
chapter 4, verse number 17. For the time, listen to this, is come that judgment must begin out the house of God, which is the church. And if it first begins at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? I've been preaching probably for the past few weeks or maybe a month uh, along the lines of accepting the message that Jesus preached. I mean, just sticking to the message that Jesus preached. And uh, then I've, I've kind of changed that title up, and I've gone into competitive altars maybe for the past few weeks, and I want to continue in that line of thought here this morning. Verse 18, For if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. If the righteous scarcely be saved. Well, that speaks to my heart. That says to me that everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is not going to make it into the final days upon this earth into the kingdom of God. There's, there's just so many things that I could have uh, spoke to you about that, made the whole sermon about that, but that's not my thoughts here this morning. For if the righteous scarcely, barely be saved, and that's what I'm thinking about here this morning, I want to kind of read something to you here this morning that, I, that I've taken out of one of these little booklets that's kind of fattened up my Bible. And it goes like this. It says, for people of faith, the idea of what is strange and what is normal is usually based on their own church background and their personal religious experience. I, I think everything about the Word of God has to be personal. Amen? I really do. If a Christian grows up in a formal church, with bells and incense and candles and snuffers, elaborate rituals, prescribed prayers, chanted in foreign languages. He thinks this type of worship is normal. It does not seem strange to him at all because he's used to it. But put him in a loud, lively, wild, spontaneous, hyper-charismatic, Holy Ghost revival meeting for the very first time, and he will think that it is strange. Just as a Christian whose only church experience is of the wild, spontaneous, and charismatic kind would think that a formal church service is strange. Benjamin Cohen, a son of an Orthodox Jewish rabbi, decided to visit different Christian churches every Sunday for a full year to see how Christians worship God. Now, one of the things that's always been amazing to me is this. When most Jewish people, and if you think about it, most Jewish people become Christian and start believing as Christians, number one, they forsake the Sabbath. They all become first-day keepers. And I'm talking to you this morning. I know you're in deep thought here this morning. But all I'm saying is this, you shouldn't have to give up righteous things to just, you know, be a part of something else. In fact, God has some strong words against that. But anyway, so here he goes, and he goes worshiping for a full year to see how Christians worship God. Having lived his entire life in an insulated Jewish community, he did not know what to expect. 
in his book, My Jesus Year, he writes about the things he saw and tells how those things appear to an outsider who is clueless about Christian forms of worship. Much of what he saw and heard seemed very strange. What's interesting is that the Christian forms of worship that seemed the least strange to him were those forms that was those forms that most resembled the Jewish work worship he grew up with. Listen to what he says about his visit to St. Bartholomew's Episcopal Church. As for the service itself, it's all very ritualistic. That's what I'm used to. So much of what I had witnessed at other churches was completely foreign to me, especially the prayers themselves. This is the first time since I started the trip that I feel a connection to what Christians are doing during the service. About five different church leaders are now on the dais, all in the crusade-era robes, preparing for communion with an elaborate wine-pouring ceremony using shiny silver vessels over a large table. Reading through his book, it's obvious that the degree of strangeness that he felt at various Christian meetings was determined by how different things were from his own personal religious experience in a traditional Jewish synagogue. Now, just as a stranger can be transformed into a friend by spending time together, so these strange commands can become a familiar part of your faith. Now, there's many today that say, I live by faith, I walk by faith, everything I do is faith in faith so that I can please God, yet God's commandments and God's word is strange to them. Why? Because they wasn't raised in that. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't get some people to ever, ever break apart from something that they were rooted in in their childhood or in an earlier experience. God has so much more to bring people into than perhaps where we were raised, what we knew when we first became Christians, that, it, that it's, it, it's almost amazing. But most people do not want to forsake anything that was familiar to them, they only want to say something against the strange. But I'm going to tell you something. When Jesus said, think not that I come to bring peace, but nay, much rather division, he is the great divider. His word will separate the sheep from the goats. His word will cause the righteous and the unrighteous not to be in the same, in the same place. Do you understand what I'm saying? We don't, we're not attracted to things because they're strange. I'm talking about things that seem strange to us because we weren't brought up around them. I was brought up in the Seventh-day Adventist church. I thank God for the things that I was taught there. Those things that I can hold to today that are still true, I hold to. Those things that I, I no longer want to hold to or found out I couldn't hold to, that, that, that we went there and fellowship even though there were things we couldn't hold to at the time we were fellowshipping. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so we were growing, and we'll continue to grow. Who knows what God has in store for them this next day or this next week? God may cause you and call you to do something that you've never done before. If you've never done it before, let's just say and say it in a simple way. That's strange to me. Putting names on a prayer board to some people would be a strange thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Going to church on the seventh day of the first day would be a strange thing. So there's many strange things in the word of God. 
But I want to tell you this morning, sometimes those strange things, sometimes those things you felt like were so strange. What about your wife? What about your husband? Well, you didn't know them before you married them, or if you did, you didn't know them too long. But the strangeness of getting out from underneath mom and daddy's um, under mom and daddy's roof was strange to you when you took a mate and began to function as a husband and a wife and began to raise your own family. So there's a lot of things. New territory. Amen. New beginnings. Amen. Doesn't mean you forsake everything that was right. No. But you simply pick up and you begin to look at things with a different eye, a different perspective than you ever had before. When you learn about God's commandments, they will seem strange to you. But you can embrace them, and you can learn to do them. In fact, the longer you do them, the less strange they may seem. You can add them and they are to your belief system, and as you do, they will become a familiar part of your faith. Now, I want to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Let's just back up a little bit. Here was uh, the great man Solomon. He was known as the preacher. And I want to use a scripture that I used last week, but I think it really spoke to my heart. I hope it spoke to yours. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, chapter 9, verse number 12. For man also knoweth not his time. Can I get an amen on that? As the fishes that are taken in what? An evil net. And as the birds that are caught in the snare. So are the sons of men snared in an evil time. When it, when it falleth suddenly upon them. This wisdom have I seen also under the sun. And it seemed great to me. There was a little city. Few men within it. There came a great king against it and besieged it and built great bulwarks against it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no man remembered that same poor man. Then said I, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. I remember when Jesus came. He told them when they come unto, the, unto him early on in his ministry, he said, the foxes have holes. Didn't he say that? And uh, what else did he say? The birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath no place to lay his head. As much as he walked on this earth, as much as he desired to bring people, I mean, the way he would bring people is he would have to relate to people. Some of the things he would do would be strange. Some of the things, I mean, they were pretty much clear. He read them in the Bible, out of the Bible, and, uh, you know, they had heard these things before, even though it kind of fell on a deaf ear. But what I'm saying is this. He, in all of his wisdom in the church world, basically is despised. There's a scripture in Isaiah chapter 4, that says, uh, we will eat our own bread. We will wear our own apparel. Just let us be called by thy name. 
so it will remove our reproach. A lot of people like the term Christianity. A lot of people are the idea that it doesn't make any difference because we're all teaching the same thing. We're heading to the same place. Therefore, everybody is all right. But I don't, I don't see it that way. The Bible says that the fishes that are taken in an evil net. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Did he not say that? But when I read this, it says they are taken. How many likes to be taken? You like for somebody to pull the wool over your eyes and you sell a piece of property for $100 and that person knows that that piece of property, tomorrow he can get $500 or 1000 or whatever it is. Well, that's the way the kind of the stock market is, you know. There's a lot of suckers that are taken. The Bible says that those fishes are taken in an evil net. I went to the dictionary. I looked up that word taken, and it says to get into one's possessions. Oh, get into one's possessions. Most people carry their greatest possession in their hip pocket. I used to know a brother that came to the church, and I'll tell you what, you couldn't get into his hip pocket. I've never known what anybody gives. I've never, at one time, I've ever asked the secretary, who's given, who ain't given, that is not what I was called to do. I know God will work upon an individual's heart. But I'm saying there is some that, that you would have to get into their hip pocket before they would believe that they were taken. It says get into one's possessions, picked out or removed, led, carried, or caused to go. That's when the wise man is talking about the fishes that are taken in an evil net. I see that same thing within the religious church systems, in the competitive altars. Every church is competing. Every church is competing to have all of the things that they need to please those that come into the church. Now, I'm saying that as uh, probably a 99.9%. That, that's what I get out of that. Now, I want to go, if you would, to, uh, let's back up just a little bit. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Now, look what he says here in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 14. He says one verse, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it, for God doeth it that men should fear before him. There is few men today in the Christian church, and when I say men, I'm including men and women. I'm talking about flesh. I'm talking about brethren sister or whatever <laughs> whatever you want to call it but there's few men today will preach the gospel with fear and trembling they've taken all the fear out of it because Jesus loves you no matter what you do it's not an issue of whether Jesus loves you no matter what you do it's a matter of do you love him bless God the Bible speaks of the called, the Bible speaks of the chosen, and the Bible speaks of the faithful. If you've been called and you've been chosen, God expects you to be faithful. Amen? Faithful to who? To him, bless God. But here we live in the time of all of these competitive altars. One's offering this, one's offering that. I've went there and I've seen churches before on the marquee, especially when it was a, a, an Easter service. They had one at 9 o'clock. That was a, a so-and-so service. Another, another at 10 o'clock, that was a, 
so-and-so service, and the one at 11 o'clock was a so-and-so service. They're just offering different services to different people because different people expect different things from a service. Now, I like this. God's ways are everlasting. His mercy endures forever. His name endures forever. His righteousness endures forever. His judgments and his truth endures forever. His throne is forever. His word is settled forever. He reigns forever because he lives forever. In fact, whatever he does is done forever. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is it any wonder that, that then that he remembers his covenant forever? Know therefore that the Lord your God is the faithful God which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. What do I get out of that? I get out of it the fact that God never changes to accommodate the sinner. He is eternal. And in that being eternal, that alone, he can spare a sinner. He calls the shots. Amen? He doesn't take the fish with an evil net. He doesn't take the birds in a snare. He says, follow me. He said, if you follow me, Follow me. He said, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep know me, and a stranger they will not follow. Most people today in the church have never heard the voice of Almighty God. Somebody says, well, he has to speak to you. Well, he does. He speaks to us through his word. And sometimes a still, small voice. And you've got to know how to detect that, that you not be deceived. Now, I want to go to John chapter 10. Now, let's just go to Hosea chapter 8. I'm going to briefacate here a little bit. Does anybody know what that means? That means I will spare you every place that might resemble some other place. I'll take you to one place, and we will stay on time. Now, hold on just a second. Now, all right. I want to look at Hosea chapter 8. And I want to look at verse number 11. In verse 11, he says this. The word says this. Because Ephraim. Now, you've studied your Bible. Most of you know who it's talking about in Ephraim. It's not talking about Judah necessarily right here. It's talking about Joseph, his son. He had two sons. One was, one was Ephraim and one was Manasseh. But I'm talking about Ephraim. Uh, it was Joseph's son. It, it asks, actually is the ten northern tribes that were scattered they broke from Judah. Later was called the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, I want to read here in verse 11. Because Ephraim hath made many altars to sin. means he built these altars. Altars shall he be, shall be unto him to sin. Verse 12. For I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as what? A strange thing. God's law is a strange thing to the church today. They all will tell you the majority of them. And that's amazing how they go back and, and uh, pick it back up when they want to teach their children not to steal, not to commit adultery, not to do these kind of things. But, but other than that, when they don't need it, they say it was all nailed. Billy Graham said it was all nailed to the cross. Amen. I've heard it all my life how these different preachers will say it was all nailed to the cross. I have written to him the great things of my law. Did you know the law is spiritual? It's not carnal, it's spiritual. 
Uh, it is the mind of God. It's the very foundation of his kingdom. It is his organization. It is the word. You can't separate the word from the law and the law from the word. I mean, you can pull it one way, pull it another, but you ain't going to get it to give any because it is already settled in heaven, the Bible says, forever. He said, but they became a strange thing to them. Verse 13, they sacrificed flesh for the sacrifices on my offerings. If you've got on your spiritual ears, you will see that they love the ritualistic form, but actually they sacrifice souls of men upon mine altars. But the Lord accepteth them not. Verse 14, for Israel hath forgotten his maker and buildeth temples or churches, and Judah hath multiplied fence cities, but I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour the places thereof. God is judging the church, and he said judgment must begin at the house of God. Amen? Judgment, righteousness, must begin at the house of God. Have I said that fishes are taken in an evil net? I, I'm not sure I said that, but I want to say that. I want to look in Hosea chapter 5. Back up just a little bit. Hosea chapter 5. The Bible says in verse number 3, I know Ephraim. That's Israel. He's not hid from me. For now, O Ephraim, thou committest whoredom, and Israel is defiled. They will not frame their doings to turn unto their God, for the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them, and they have not known the Lord. They've not known his voice, they've not known his word, and they hear a stranger, and they follow them. That's the wolf in sheep clothing, sheep's clothing. And I can just hear the old wolf howling, saying unto a sister, Why, sister, don't worry about that. I remember when my dad got saved. And uh, he said, Lord, he went out there. He was in a little old Holy Ghost. It was actually in a, a schoolhouse, but they were having the preacher and the services were a little old Pentecostal service. And uh, somebody spoke in tongues. And daddy's saying, you know, he, he was raised, mom and grandma, his mom and daddy didn't profess any religion. Grandma read her Bible. And uh, she she just didn't go to church. But basic part of any background he had of any of his aunts or any of them, it, it was in the um, Jehovah Witness. And so he heard the speaking in tongues, and he said something just spoke to him and said, get up and go outside. And he went outside where a team of horses and wagons. I, you see, I like that era of time. Would I wanted to live there? I would have if I could have got back to my modern house and my modern car I would have loved it I would have loved it but he went outside he knelt down beside the wagon grabbed a hold of the old wagon wheel and he said God I want to know if that's real he said if it's real Lord I want you to speak to me and that night daddy got the baptism of the Holy Spirit not in the church, but outside the church. And he said at that time, he said, Lord, I don't want to judge no man. What was he actually saying? 
That's strange to me. I don't know nothing about that. What does the Bible say? Try the Spirit. Test the Spirit. Whether it be of God or not. And so, even as a young Christian, that's what he desired to do. And the Lord spoke to him. And he said it just came that quick. My dad never really professed to have the gift of speaking in tongues. One night we was here in the church at either a revival service or a day service. It seems like it was a night service, though. Because I had preached that day. And on the way home, the Lord said, I want you to stand on my word. I said, Lord, I do stand on your word. He said, no, I'm going to speak something to you, and I want you to stand on my word. And so I said, okay, God, what is it? He said, tonight, in tonight's service, he said, there'll be three people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they'll, re- they'll speak in tongues. They don't have the gift of speaking in tongues. And he said, they will tonight. Oh, my God. I thought, Lord, you're putting me on the spot. No, he said, no, you're putting me on the spot. I said, no, Lord, you're putting me on the spot. And that night, I told it before I got up to preach. And I thought, Lord, I'm really on the spot now. I am really on the spot. Lord kept saying back to me and the other here, no, I'm on the spot. He said, I'm on the spot. And so in that service I was preaching, there was three people that had never spoke in tongues or had the gift of speaking in tongues that spoke in tongues that night. One was sitting right there. She was only raised up in the Baptist church, didn't know anything about it. Didn't know anything about it. You didn't know anything about that. And the Lord opened her mouth, filled it. She spoke in tongues. My mama was raised in a, a church of God, which is a lot like the assembly of God, which do speak in tongues, but mama had never spoken in tongues. Connie was sitting, I believe, over here. Mama was sitting, I believe, over there at that time. I'm not sure, or vice versa, whichever that happened. But my mom spoke in tongues that night for the first time ever in her life. She had heard it, but as far as we had been Seventh-day Adventists for like 29 years, wasn't going to hear that in the Seventh-day Adventist church. But mom spoke in tongues that night. And I believe the third person was daddy. Now you say, well, you said dad had spoken in tongues. Yes, he had. But he didn't have the gift of speaking in tongues. And I couldn't judge God. Somebody said, well, they're all your family folks. Well, how many of you know your family that well? <laughs> you can't just snap your finger and the family does exactly what, you know, what God had said he was going to do. It made no difference. Judgment must begin at the house of God. You've got to start standing on God's word. God's word alone. You can't add something to it. You can't take something from it. You've got to say, God, this is your word. Whatever it is, even if it's strange unto you, do you understand what I'm saying? The Bible speaks about God doing his strange act in another place, talking about another thing. But what I'm saying to you this is it is real. There are many sheep out there. There are many wolves out there in sheep's clothing. There's many strangers that people are willing to follow. But it, when it comes down to Jesus and his word, he said, he said in one place, he said, I didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets. Now, if you're going to say he destroyed the law, go ahead and say he destroyed all the prophets because they were in the same sentence. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets. So we've got to accept his word. We've got to accept his word. Now, I want to go to Hebrews chapter 10 real quick. 
Hebrews chapter 10, real quick. And I want to look here in the 11th verse. Every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, same sermons. But he says these, these sacrifices cannot take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. Another place it says the right hand of power. Verse 14, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he hath said before, this is the covenant, verse 16, that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. Verse 17, And their sins and their iniquity will I remember no more. Now, this is not something he does when he returns. This is not something that's far off in the future. This is something the Holy Ghost is doing right now. He's writing God's word, God's law, in your hearts, on tables of flesh. This is prior to his return. But you've got to allow, as an individual, as a believer, you've got to allow him to do it. I mean, you've got to allow him to do it. Amen? Verse 28 says, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Verse 29. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. The idea today is that doctrine has been the great divider of the church. And can I say, it's absolutely true. Doctrine has been the great divider. To forsake doctrine, some would say, you will forsake unity. But that is only another doctrine in itself. It's a lie doctrine. Why do people say, well, I know so-and-so, but God loves us, and we're not under the law anymore. Hasn't that become a doctrine within itself? You go to some churches and they say, do you believe this doctrine? You say, what doctrine? Well, we ain't under the law. We, we have no, the law has nothing to do with us. We're of faith. We're of the household of faith. We're saved by grace through faith or vice versa. Uh, but what I'm saying is this. These are doctrines that try to replace doctrines. And that's what is strange to me. And what is most strange is how you have so many fish fall for it, hook, line, and sinker. Now, I want to read something here. In Luke, the fourth chapter, they attempted to take the life of Christ when he returned to his hometown of Nazareth. He was given the scroll to read the scripture in the synagogue, and he read from Isaiah 61, and at the conclusion of his reading, he made a statement, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Listen to this. And all of those in the synagogue were filled with wrath. He's reading the Bible, and they were filled with wrath. They then rose up and attempted to throw him over a cliff, at another time, after Jesus had healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, the Pharisees went out and took counsel how they might destroy him. 
We have an account in John 5 of the man Jesus healed at the pool of Bethesda when the Pharisees heard about it and found that he had healed on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, Scripture says they sought to slay him, and when they confronted Jesus, and in the confrontation, Jesus referred to God as his Father, then they sought the more, the Bible says, to kill him. There were many other times when the Jews attempted to, uh, to kill Jesus, but it was not his time and when the chief priests and the captains of the temple the captains of the temple and the elders came to apprehend him in the garden of gethsemane jesus told him this is your hour and the power of darkness in other words the powers of darkness were given were given their hour but they had no power until their hour came do you understand that there's times that god grants certain things there's time that God grants certain things, but it's an exception to the rule. And I could mention some of those. I've mentioned them in times past. We'll not do that today for uh, sake of time. But I want to go to Deuteronomy chapter 4 real quick. This thing is almost over, and your faithful preacher has kept his word once again. Verse 29 of Deuteronomy chapter 4. But if... From thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all of thy soul. When thou art in tribulation, and all of these things are come upon you, even in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God and shalt be obedient unto his voice. For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers which he swear unto them. For ask now in the days that are past, which were before thee, since the day that God created man upon the earth, and ask for the one from the one side of heaven to the other, whether there hath been any such thing as this great thing is or hath been heard alike. Did ever people hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of fire as thou hast heard? and lived or hath God essayed to go and take him a nation from the midst of other nations by temptations signs and wonders and by war and by a mighty hand and a stretched out arm and by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord is God and there is none else beside him now did you notice all the but ifs from thence Hereafter, if thou, winnest thou, if thou turn, someone says, how can a man forget God? Well, I can say to you, almost everyone agrees that there is a God, there is a higher power, and they say, just call it what you will. But let me give you the way that men forget. It's when men believe and teach God's word is no longer relevant it doesn't apply to this day. Haven't you heard them say it? Because we live in the day of grace and mercy. We live on the brighter side of the cross, the greener side of the cross. Jesus said if they won't hear Moses, they won't believe the one returns from the dead. The key to all the words of Moses was don't forget the Lord. Beware, don't forget the Lord. Remember the Lord. If you will do, if you will say, if you will uh, hereafter, if and when. I mean, it goes on and on and on. I'm telling you, your destiny is within your own hands. Amen. Now, I want to close here with 
1 Kings chapter 12, 1 Kings chapter 12, and I want to use verse number 20. For it came to pass when all of Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, that they sent and called him unto the congregation, and they made him king over all of Israel. That's the ten northern tribes. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only, also the Levites and the Benjamites. But it's not saying something here that it's not saying. I just threw that in there. Those are the ones that were still there in Judah. And so we find out here, he's talking to Jeroboam. Jeroboam is made the new king of Israel. And Jeroboam, verse 25, built in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from thence and built. Verse number 26. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again to their God, even unto Rehoboam the king of Judah. And they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel. Now listen to this. The king took counsel. He got some advice. And when he got the advice, when he got that advice, they ended up making two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go to church in Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, old Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And now this is what's so amazing to me, is how such a majority falls for things that are done in the name of God. You don't need to go to church there. You don't need to sacrifice there. Why, well, we've made two altars. Now, the Bible says, if you would read a little further in Hosea, it said he made many altars to sin. These altars, and I think you could go back. I don't have time to establish that, but I think you could go back and you would find out. One of these altars, and it was perhaps the one uh, altar there in Dan, uh, was the altar. You remember when Micah, in the book of Micah, he spoke about um, uh, a young uh, mama who had dedicated a certain amount of money of silver for her son... Uh, to make an idol or an image. And you remember that story. And uh, finally he did. He said, Mom, I stole that money from you. And she said, oh, that's okay, son. That's okay. She actually sanctified her, rather than tell her son it was wrong to steal. How would we know it was wrong to steal if the word of God didn't say, thou shalt not steal? If we nail the word of God to the cross, we can't have it both ways. If the law is nailed to the cross, we can't have it both ways. You can't go and get it a little bit and say to him, Sonny, I didn't want you to steal because God said not to steal. He's going to turn and laugh in your face. But what did she do? She rewarded him. What are the churches today? What has happened to the church realm today? They are being rewarded. I said they are being rewarded. If you would change your word, if you would speak a different message than you're speaking, you would have as big a church as anybody in the state of Mexico, the country of Mexico. There you go. They're being rewarded. 
A preacher says, you don't have to do that anymore. God has changed his mind. They're being rewarded. Do you see that? They're being rewarded and the church of God is hanging on by the skin of its teeth. But can I tell you something? God wouldn't have it any other way. Amen. Because he is a great divider. He has caused division within the church realm. Those that will stay to his words and stay true, God will give them their reward in the end. Those that are compromised. Those that are getting their reward now. They'll not receive, they'll not receive what they think they think receive. receive. The final, the final day. day. Now I want to look, I want to look at this. This thing, this thing verse, verse 30, 30 became a sin, sin for which we worship, worship the one, even the man. And he made, he made a house, house of high places, churches, church, temples, temples, and made and made three Lord's Lord's people were not of not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, on the fifth day of the day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he and he offered on that altar. So did he in Bethel sacrificing of calves that he had made. He placed in Bethel the priest of the high places which he had made. He offered upon the altar, verse thirty-three, which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the month, even the month which he had devised of his own heart and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel and offered upon the altar burnt offerings and incense. And I'm not going to go any farther on that. But I'm saying they accepted a substitute. And I've always said, isn't it amazing that the numbers, the numbers, the great large numbers, service one, service two, service three, just a few hours apart on the same morning, can have the massive amount of attendance that they have. That's the way the people want it. You see, I could very easily, I could say, hey, Jeroboam is going to pay the price for what he done when he sacrificed the souls of the people. Well, he will. But also the souls of the people that wanted it to be so hallelujah. They offered in these places. They even offered their sons and their daughters. Read about it. Read it in history. They have dug up some of these places where Jeroboam had built them, and they find out it was probably, they believe with all their heart, almost everybody in agreement, the archaeologists, they believe that it was the same uh, house that uh, Micah spoke about that was being built there in those days. Just followed right on through. There were times they were forsaking it, and there was times it just followed right on through. And we see all of these things happening in religion. Now, I want to close with this. This, 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 this is good. I like this. You, somebody says, oh, as much as things change, Brother Lee, they still seem to be about the same as they ever was. Well, that's true. That's true. Things change. But they end up repeating themselves oftentimes. I'm going to show you something. You talk about the public school system. I've got to read this to you. The public school system in 1915, here was the rules for teachers. Things that were required of a woman who wanted to be a public school teacher just 99 years ago. And this is from one-room schools by Knox County, Knox County, Illinois, Retired Teachers Association. Now listen to this. This is number one. You will not marry during the term of your contract. Well, she wanted to be a school teacher. She signed the contract. 
Somebody says, oh my, Brother Lee. You are not to keep company with men. That was number two. This was in order to teach the children, you had to agree to this. Number three, you must be home between the hours of 8 p.m. and 6 a.m. unless you're attending a school function. Number four, you may not loiter, loiter, loiter downtown in the ice cream parlor. If you wanted to be a school teacher, you couldn't go hang out in the ice cream parlor. Verse, I mean, number five here. You may not travel beyond the city limits unless you have the permission of the chairman of the school board. You may not ride in a carriage or an automobile with any man unless he is your father or your brother. You may not smoke cigarettes. This was in 1915. You may not dress in bright colors. You may not under any circumstance dye your hair. You must wear at least two petticoats. Two petticoats. So that the sun standing in the doorway won't shine through and show Your dresses must not be any shorter than two inches above the ankle. The last one. To keep the schoolroom neat and clean, you must sweep the floor at least once daily. You must scrub the floor at least once a week with hot soapy water. And you must clean the backboards, blackboards at least once a day and start the fire at 7 a.m. so the room will be warm at 8 a.m. Has things changed? Does this seem strange? Why are we having all the hell we're having with our children today? Why are we having it? Because things change too much to the extreme. Somebody says, well, we can't turn it around, Brother Lee. We can't turn it around. The worst thing that happens in life is that things are passed on as real when they are fraudulent. It's amazing how the advertising uh, experts spend millions and millions and millions of dollars to convince you that you can't live without something in order that they might obtain billions and billions of dollars in return. Nothing slicker than a salesman. And I say most of the preachers that are preaching behind the pulpit in these competitive altars are no more than slick, 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 slick willies. They are. Competitive altars. Somebody says, well, but they don't look like it's going to change. Well, who knows? It might. It might. And there's hope that it might. There's hope that God can, you know, in his... You see, sometimes people say, well, you know, we are in the sifting, Brother Lee. Yes, we are in the sifting. But we're also in the process of elimination. I like to look at it that way. Where everything that cannot, according to the Word of God, deserve eternal life will be eliminated in that process. Process of sifting, process of deliberate um, 
What did I just say while I go? Elimination. Oh, I don't want to be in the process of elimination. I want to be in the adding to. Amen. A little old girl one time, she worked in this. How many remember when you used to go out there at Sears? Remember, they're closing it, going to close it down now. They're going to shut her plumb down. The one out there at 21st in Yale. Oh, that was like heaven on earth when you went to Sears. Escalators and uh, bathrooms. <laughs> I mean, it was such a good place to shop. One place that I liked, you couldn't hardly go through the heart of that store that you didn't smell the roasted nuts. Now, Tori, I know she wouldn't have been able to do that. But you could smell the aroma coming. They roasted their nuts. They warmed their nuts. They kept them all warm. Everything was nice. You could get a quarter pound. You get a half pound. You get a pound of cashews or almonds or whatever you wanted, any kind of peanuts, whatever it was. And you could also get candy that was weighed out. You could buy a quarter pound, half pound, three-quarter pound, whatever you wanted. You could buy it that way. That was good. I like that. And there was a story told about... A young girl that worked in a place, and her boss came to her and said, "You know, I, I just can't under—I can't understand how people just waiting in line to get. You're offering same product that the girls over there are offering, but they're all standing in line." She said, "Well, what they do?" She said, "They put too much in the bag," and she said, "The people see them taken out until they get it back down to the right amount." She said, "I start at a lower area." And I keep adding two. You say, well, that's a play on how you do things. That is, that's using, that's using your head, amen? I don't want to be in the process of elimination, be eliminated out. I want to be in the process of being added to. Can we all stand together this morning? Uh, Sarah, you guys, I know you guys are tired. But if any one of you or Sister Ruth would like to come to the piano, just come to the piano, maybe play something soft. I just want to close with a word of prayer, and Dustin may want to come up. I don't know what he's going, how he's going to end it. But nonetheless, Father, we thank you for the hearing of the word. We thank you for, Father, being able to talk. I have the privilege of talking to each one of these individuals today. And God, I do believe that the souls, the souls of men are oftentimes in the hand of of the speaker, I believe that, uh, especially if someone took that word you, uh, an individual said and ran with it and never uh, turned any way from it, and that word was false. Yeah, I believe that. Their blood would be upon the preacher, in part. Well, Lord, I want to thank you that, God, you give us a mind, an open mind, that, God, we would uh, be able to hear your voice, would be able to say that I'm going to follow God I'm going to keep his word at any cost I'm going to keep his word and God as we see things change and it appears they're changing for the worse most of the time we got a little breathing space in this nation where I think it put a little hope back into people we got a preacher that is studying his Bible he's studying his Bible he probably will never say again 2 Corinthians. You probably never say that again. Because there's men and women that are having Bible classes and Bible study classes right there in the White House. Somebody says that sure is strange. That's a good strange. Amen. 
And Lord, we're thanking you and we're praising you that, God, you've given us a little time that we might get our house in order. God, ere the judgments of God falls upon us. We bless you and we praise you today. In the mighty name of Jesus, in the name of Yeshua, amen. Dustin, did you want to close out the service today? Did you feel like it? Well, we want to stand right here. Bob, come up and stand with me if you would. Uh, anybody wants to pray or feels like they need prayer, I, don't, I know the ladies have probably gone back and getting things on the table. We'll give them just a little bit of time. If you need to pray, you want to thank God for something He's done in your life. You want to just thank Him. Love on Him, whatever you want to do. We want to take time to do this as beautiful music is being played on the piano.